Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mr. Meisner, there's a gentleman to see you. Think that he's dead? Has been for years. God, what a waste. Genius, they said. Hello, all theater lovers, both out and proud and on the DL. And welcome to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. This is the first of many series devoted to specific artists that have helped shape Broadway as we know it today, both for better and for worse. It is called A Little Sondheim Music, and it is dedicated to the musicals of one Mr. Stephen Sondheim. And it's the final episode! Ah, God, it's been long. But we're here. I am your host, Matt Koplick, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts. And with me today is a friend of the pod, alum of the pod. You know him, you love him. Some might call him a wise guy. It is one Mr. Jimmy Larkin. Hi, Jimmy! You threw in the wise guys in there, didn't you, on purpose? What are you talking about? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> How are you, Jimmy? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to see your face. It's been a minute. Yes. Um, yes. You, you, Jimmy popped up in the middle of the Sondheim series, but not in a Sondheim episode. You popped up in a specialty episode with Pablo Gave, which was still like one of my highlights of 2021. Yeah, he was incredible. Yeah, oh, I loved all those stories. Um Today, we're concluding the Sondheim series, uh, not with a crash or a thud, but one might say with the bounce. Wouldn't one? Very much so. What show are we discussing today, Mr. Jimmy Larkin? Well, it depends on what you want to call it, but I guess we're going to call it Roadshow. Yes, we are going to call it I guess we're going to land on Roadshow. We're going to land on Roadshow. That is how it's licensed. That is what they decided on. Do you have any kind of history with this show whatsoever i literally couldn't have told you a single thing i couldn't even have told you that it was a sondheim show when mm. i i the thing i would have been able to tell you is that i've heard of a musical called roadshow period yeah. period and that sentence. is it yeah you didn't even but you didn't even know that it was like the last produced sondheim show no i'm not but i'm not a huge theater history buff you know like mm. i love theater but like i usually like love the shows that I love. And like, once I know them, I know them and I love them. But yeah, I usually like, 
don't know more about the history things. of the shows that you like that's true because you know a lot about the things that you enjoy um, yeah, yeah, yeah of course it's not like like with hairspray it's not as if you're like oh i just enjoy it and that's it like you know a lot oh no no it. i know like every replacement and stuff like that 100 <laughs> percent. yeah the shows that i don't know about you know like i just don't know yeah are we are you much of a sondheim person um it depends on the show i mean like i know everything ever about into the woods sure um yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the show. Certain the shows that I know of, sometimes, of course, and the mm-hmm. ones that I don't, not really. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, it's not like you have all this time to uh, look up all the other shows because you're very busy being a music influencer, music producer, music arranger. One might say. Right. Well, I mean, I'm not a ranger. I wouldn't say, but. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you guys do behind the scenes. All I know is that you've made it your job for 2021 to give us all the bops of the summer. Yes, that's that's the goal. goal. Mainly my friend Devin. He's really the one that's really the musically inclined one. But Mm. I'm the one with the ideas. You're the one with the ideas. Yeah, that's honestly, that's the best way to be. uh, Right. Be the person with the ideas. That's actually a fun fact for anyone who's listened to the Into the Woods episode by now. Uh, It'll be coming out this week that we're recording, but this episode will be dropping in June. So Hello, people in the future. Uh, but if you've listened to the Into the Woods episode, you know that that whole show came about because James Lapine and Stephen Sondheim had an idea for a TV special, like putting all TV characters together from all these different shows. And Norman Lear was like, great, write me the script. And they're like, no, we just want to sell you the idea. He's like, no, I won't take the idea without a script. And they're like, well, I guess we're done here. And then they wrote Into the Woods. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that until I uh, read about it in, I think it was, uh, look I made a hat yeah when researching that show oh right yeah yeah classic stuff though um I don't have much of a history with this show I did see it at La oh. Public. I did see it at La Public, but that's like my right. one big thing with it I knew of Bounce kind of I didn't know any of the songs really and the the reputation that Bounce had because I was very much a theater kid on the message boards around 2003 I was very into the scene on with all that shit so I was reading all the things people were posting about Bounce and everyone was just so excited to have a new Sondheim musical if ever there was a show where theater people wanted to make fetch happen it's this show (laughs) very much so like when it was Bounce people wanted to make fetch happen when it was Roadshow people wanted to make fetch happen um, in my research for this, I was going through the message boards again. I was looking at all the reactions for Roadshow when it came out at the public in 2008. And I was like, oh my God, like you can have your opinions on the show, but like to imagine that it was like going to transfer to Broadway during a recession with like the tepid reviews that it had. Um, oof, oof, boy, it was right. interesting. Um, but yeah, that's that's my history of the show. I never, I promptly forgot about it within six months after seeing it. I would just to say something because I was so excited to see a new Sondheim musical. Um, but we're going to get into the nitty gritty with that in a bit. Jimmy, with the intense amount of information that I sent you on this, what would you say Roadshow is about? Well, it's a brother story, first of all, which I actually realized I was like, I don't really know how many. Well, I guess I don't know. Are there a ton of brother musicals? I was thinking oh. about that when they when when Pixar put out. What was that movie that they just put out? Uh up, up, uh, something onward. Onward. onward, onward, onward. I was like, upward, onward, forward. Um, <laughs> no, I was thinking about that because I was thinking about my brother the whole time. I was, I was listening and reading this. Um, but it's a brother story. 
what 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 time period? Turn of the century ish? Yeah, early nineteen hundreds. Because they say they say something about the turn of the century in it. I think right. They're they're born in like the eighteen sixties, I believe. Right. Um, a lot of the a majority of the action of the show takes place from like nineteen hundred to their death. Yeah. Right. So um, turn of the century ish. Um, two brothers, and it's just about the American dream and like and and uh, I mean, how would you describe it? I guess it's like success like success versus uh like family friends love you know um Mm -hmm. I mean that's 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 ultimately what ends up being a lot of the like the internal conflict between the the characters of like is is like pursuing or it's and what I read a lot that they like to describe it as that feels really real is um it's not about the destination it's about the journey yeah, that's something that I think uh, Willie says mm-hmm. in Boca in the Boca Raton section. Yeah, yeah, it's two brothers, um, the Meisner brothers, Addison and Wilson, who were real. They mm-hmm. they were real people. Uh, Addison is best known as an architect who basically created Palm Beach, um, mm-hmm. or at least like the aesthetic that we know Palm Beach to be, and Boca Raton, and uh, Wilson Willie. Addie and Willie. Wilson was essentially a con man. They both were kind of con men and, and uh, thrifters. Is that a, that's the right word, right? Thrifters? I guess. I it, so, it sounds right. It feels sounds good. Sounds good to that. me. <laughs> sounds good to you. So, um, yeah, Wilson, he was basically like a jack of all trades, master of none, did a million things. Uh, he was a boxing uh fighter, manager, man, whatever those things are called. Uh, he wrote some Broadway plays that didn't last very long. He wrote some, co-wrote some screenplays that I don't think ever got produced. It was a restaurateur, a uh, bunch of stuff. He's probably the most quoted man in American history that no one knows the name of because a lot of things that we quote are actually, were actually started by him. The biggest one is uh, be nice to the people you meet on the way up because they're the same people you're going to meet on the way down. Uh, so that's fun. That's a fun legacy that. to have. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they died penniless and, you know, kind of a disgrace. And yeah, the show is about them and their journey and their relationship and how they interpret the American dream. Well, yeah, we'll get into themes as we get into the show. That is essentially what it's about. If that sounds thrilling to anyone out there, by all means, go and listen to the well, show. Well, the thing you have to add too that I wouldn't have known before that I wouldn't have been interested in until I heard this is that there's also like a little gay love story. Yeah. There's a little gay in there. Um, Addison is gay or in the real life. Addison, I guess was closeted because it was, it right. was turn of the century. We have to remember. Right. Um, and in the, in the latest incarnation in Roadshow, Addison is a little more open and has a much more uh, comfortable, open gay relationship with a, fictionalized character named Hollis, which we'll get into. And then there's some incestual feelings between Addison and Wilson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you know, I, I'm just going to get into the history of this show. Mm-hmm. Buckle up. Cause this is a long speech. I'm going to do my best to barrel through all of it. If you have any moments you want to interject, please do. Otherwise it's going to be 5,000 years of me just talking and nobody wants that Jimmy. We love we stand we can't help but stand all right he's done the research 
Oh boy, did I do the research. This is a long ass gestation period. Roadshow looks at elephants and goes, sit the fuck down, bitch. This is a longer gestation period than you do. Right. Because don't elephants like make babies for like two years or something? No idea. Not a clue. Why did I bring you on? You don't know anything. <laughs> I regret all of this. Okay. So we we started in the 1950s, sadly enough. Um, Sondheim discovered a biography on the Meisner brothers written by, it's the one thing I didn't write down. Uh, I think it was Avda Johnson is the name. Alva, Alva Johnston wrote a biography on the Meisner brothers in the 1950s, which Sondheim discovered around the time he was coming back to New York after being a TV writer and was trying to break into the theater world. And he wanted to turn their story into a musical. And he started writing some stuff only to discover that producer David Merrick had the rights and was uh, commissioning Irving Berlin to write a score for it because Irving Berlin actually knew the Meisner brothers and it was going to star Bob Hope. And so sometimes like, well, I guess that ship has sailed. So he does West Side Story and Gypsy instead, as you do. And then around 1960, after Gypsy opens, produced by David Merrick, sometimes like, hey, Dave, uh, whatever happened to the Meisner show? He's like, uh, I, I let the rights go. I, it's not coming together. Sometimes like, oh, interesting thing. I will have to remember that and because I want to write it one day. But then the 60s happens and he writes for him and anyone can whistle and a bunch of other stuff. And that passes him by and then the 70s with company follies and so on and then the 80s and so finally 1994 he's just uh won his tony award for passion he's also got an oscar for uh dick tracy at this point his pulitzer for sending the park with george passion will be his last competitive tony award sad but such the case and he's looking for a new project and he gets commissioned by the kennedy center to write a musical and he pitches them uh, the Meisner story and he pitches the Meisner story to John Weidman who was his book writer for Assassins and for Pacific Overtures and Kennedy Center's like literally anything you want to do it doesn't matter and Weidman's like I like the idea of the American dream and opportunity versus opportunism and ooh, I love that opportunity versus opportunity you want to say that again I can't say it no I can't say it <laughs> I just like this I liked the sound of it I couldn't re- I couldn't repeat it yeah it's we're neither one of us is john weidman that's no that's, not quite that's not quite i could never write the book to assassins i don't know how so they start work on what is going to be called wise guys in 1994 uh originally it was scheduled to have a reading in 1995 and then a full production in 1996 this gets postponed because sondheim is a notoriously slow writer but on top of this john weidman uh starts to write the book for Big the Musical, which is very important. We have to give him time to write that. So that gets postponed. Meanwhile, Sondheim uh, writes a Broadway play called Getting Away with Murder. That flops and gets postponed again. Oh, and also Sondheim's townhouse burned down. So that happened. And he had to restructure. He had to build that back up again. Um, But you know, that's important. That's a reason to delay writing a musical. Your house burns down. Small reason. Do you think Mark Shaman cared when his house burnt down when he was writing Hairspray? He said, "No, the world what about, you can't stop the beat." What about Joe Mars when all of her stories were thrown into the fire? <laughs> Listen, sometimes it's a sign from God, like when Andrew Lloyd Webber's cat deleted the entire score of Love Never Dies. Did that happen? 
Oh yeah. He t- I mean, who's oh, to say if it was no. a publicity stunt or not when he was like, my cat deleted it. Uh, right. But yeah, apparently he was like, he was saving it all on his computer, which was like connected to his keyboard. The cat jumped on the keyboard and pressed something and it deleted the entire score. Dog, dog at my homework, cat deleted my score. But like of all the things, the animal that represents your right. biggest hit musical deletes your newest work. Cat said no. No, it's a sign we don't, we don't need a phantom. We don't need a phantom uh, sequel. Phantom two, no. Paint never dries. Ugh, Love never dies is fucking crap. But that's not what we're talking about, Jimmy. So stop hey, bringing some good it up. Music. There's some fine music, but when you attach it to the words in the story, you go ugh. Yeah. Um, context is everything. So finally, 1998, they get a reading done with Victor Garber and Patrick Wilson. Uh, it's mostly just a script with like two songs in it, but they get Sam Mendes attached as a director because I guess Sam Mendes has done some Sondheim with the Donmore Warehouse. He's also not really hot with the Cabaret Revival. He's filming American Beauty and they're going to do a wor- staged workshop at uh, the New York Theater Workshop at the end of 1999 w- uh, with a hopeful Broadway production at the end of two, uh, of the season in April of 2000. It's produced by toxic sociopath Scott Rudin. So, mm-hmm. you know, fun fact. I, I read about this part. You, did you read about the controversy there? Oh, yeah. We're going to get to that when we get to bounce. Right. Um, classic toxic sociopath Scott Rudin. Right. So they uh, start working on the script and the score. Uh, Sondheim likes to claim that Mendes wasn't really around for any of this because Mendes was busy filming American Beauty, then editing American Beauty, then American Beauty came out and was going to award shows and whatnot. I am more in the camp of like, you're writing a musical and there's not much he can do sitting in the room with you. Like he can read your, your work and then give you notes, but he can't like sit with you, Steve, and while you write the songs, but there's a lot of blame game when it comes to roadshow. Uh, they do their workshop in New York theater, uh, New York, as I sorry, they do their workshop in New York theater workshop. Uh, the cast for this thing is insane. We have Victor Garber as Wilson. We have Nathan Lane as Addison. Uh, who else do we have? The ensemble has Brooks Ashmanskis, uh, Kevin Chamberlain, Lauren oh, Ward. Brooks uh, would be good in it too. That makes sense. Oh yeah. Um, who else was in? There were some other amazing people. I can't f- find the whole list. Also, yeah, Nathan me Lane. I love that. Michael C. Hall is uh, the Hollis character, although he's Paris Singer at this point. Christopher Fitzgerald's in the ensemble. Nancy Opal's in the ensemble. Uh, Jessica Molaski is in it. It like. Because everybody here was booming from, uh, you know, Saturday Night Violet, uh, songs for New World. It's right. like, yeah, it's you read that ensemble cast and you're like, Jesus Christ! Right. So basically, they go into rehearsals and Sam Mendes was like, Hey, so what you've written is not very good. <laughs> Give me like the entire rehearsal time away from you guys to like structure this how I think it should be. And then we'll see how this goes because there like, wasn't much of a second act the whole thing was like done in a vaudeville style. So a lot of times the story would get broken up for like patter songs and things. And it was all very like conceptual. And uh, this was also the same season that putting it together with Carol Burnett was coming out Saturday night, Saturday night was opening off Broadway and that could have possibly moved to Broadway. Everyone was saying, so like if wise guys moved to Broadway, it was going to be like the season of Sondheim. So there was a lot of anticipation for this and they get in uh, Sondheim and Weidman see the first run through of the show and immediately Sondheim's pissed because Sam Mendes opens the show with uh, the brothers 
dead and like talking about their death. And he's like, that's a hokey trope. And I don't like that. Fun fact. That's the one trope from the Mendy's workshop that they keep. So apparently they found something about it to like, they do the workshop. They do it in front of uh, audiences for three weeks. And basically everyone's like, this is just no bueno. This is no good. Mm -hmm. Um, some good music. The story's a mess. Nobody cares about the brothers. And sometimes pretty uh, upset about the whole thing. The whole vaudeville idea, he says, came from the fact that when he first heard that the show was being written by Berlin and it was going to be for Bob Hope, he was like, well, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby used to do those road movies, Road to Morocco, Road to wherever. He was like, oh, what if we did something like that, like a vaudeville or a, or a road story? and uh you know keep that whole sort of aesthetic so they hold on to that for the better part of the gestation period for wise guys i was reading an article by michael riedel at the time that the workshop happened and everybody was really dissatisfied apparently uh sondheim wanted to like really focus on the brothers relationship john weidman was really about you know the themes of americana and the american dream and sam Mendes was like can you just write a straightforward show and like let me take care of the themes and the imagery like you guys are all up in your head and basically everybody called it quits that's the end of wise guys circa 1999 early 2000 in April of 2000, Sondheim and Weidman go to Hal Prince, who had seen the workshop, and they're like, we want you to work on the show. And Prince was like, well, I didn't like the workshop. Why do you want me to work on it? He says that they told him, we want to do a musical comedy. You've never done a musical comedy. We could all learn something from this. Meanwhile, Hal Prince has just like had flop after flop uh, with Parade, with the play Hollywood Arms. He's just like not doing super well. So he's like not really at the top of his game. And so Hal Prince goes, okay, great. You want this to be musical comedy? Uh, we need sex and we need girls because at the moment it's about two weird guys with mommy issues. So they add a love story for um, Wilson, who was played by Victor Garber, and they change the show. First, it's called Gold with an exclamation point because that doesn't sound desperate. And then <laughs> they change it. <laughs> they change it to Bounce. Uh, based off of the opening song that Sondheim writes for it. Because as I mentioned, when it was Wise Guys, it was a vaudeville and there were you know, all these like breakup songs. And the first song was like called To My Left or whatever. And it was them introducing themselves to the audience. And they replaced that song with Bounce, which is the same thing, where it's just them uh, singing about their lives, their relationship to each other, explaining who they are to the audience. And like the reason it's called Bounce is because they're like, we've been through a lot. We always learned how to bounce back. We've come a long way. We've been through a lot. We've learned how to bounce. As Papa would say, you're hot, then you're not. You better learn to bounce. If something goes wrong, that's all right. Bounce along, just travel light. You go off the track, don't look back. That's the thing that counts. So they work on the show uh, and they finally get a deal struck. Uh, where they get to open at the Goodman Theater in Chicago in the summer of 2003. That almost doesn't happen because toxic sociopath Scott Rudin files a lawsuit against them saying that he still owns the rights to the stage show and that they can't produce it without him. Sondheim and Weidman take it to court. They go, he gave up the stage rights when the workshop didn't go to Broadway. It lasts all of five seconds. The judge is like, Scott Rudin, you're a dick. You have absolutely no rights to this. You're just being an asshole. We should have known then. But alas time i know is when up. i saw his name in this like i was like uh, what oh, is yeah. this 
Scott Rudin, who? Uh, yeah, no, there's another name that's about to pop up in a bit that made me go, ugh. But oh. yeah, well, it, luckily I if, this- I, indiv- I read hmm? about it. I wonder if I read about it in my research. You might have. Uh, it's This person had very little to do with it. It was just um, stepping stone. Um, so they finally get that all settled. They go to the Goodman. It stars Howard McGillen as- Wilson, Richard Kind as Addison, Gavin Creel as Hollis, because the character of Hollis was originally a character named Paris Singer, who was a real person who lived, who was a uh, business partner of Addison Meisner, but he was straight, not gay. They did not have a, a love affair. And they wanted to create um, a storyline that would talk about Addison's homosexuality. So they turned the character of Paris Singer into Hollis Bessemon and made him a lover for Addison. And they changed the name because they didn't want to get sued by any of Paris Singer's descendants who were like, this is uh, what's uh, not libel. Well, I guess libel because it is written. It's in print, but um, slander, I guess. Right. Yeah. Do you know the difference? No. Once again, Jimmy is holding up his end of the conversation here, guys. Um, but thank you for letting me talk as long as I have so far. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, I'm here for it. I, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that I didn't even hear when looking this stuff up. So I, this, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's This is the rockiest road to completion that yeah. I've ever seen. Um, the only thing rockier is the Grand Hotel, but we're not getting into that. So they open at the Goodman. Uh, oh, and oh, they also have Michelle Pock. So this is actually the other thing. So Prince is like, you need girls you need sex you need you right. know some sort of like heterosexual stuff going on in here so there was a character in the first workshop that was just like a random saloon girl when they're when the brothers are in alaska digging for gold and uh wilson is in a poker game and he uh wins but nobody wants to give him his money and the saloon girl like holds everybody up while wilson grabs the money and leaves they're like what if he took that girl and expanded her part because wilson Meisner married an 80 year old widower in real life uh, who had a lot, a lot of money and eventually she divorced him, but they're like, okay, so that marriage, what if we changed her? So she's young and sexy. And what if we made her that saloon girl from that earlier scene? So they created this whole storyline that happens off stage where Michelle Pock is the saloon girl in Alaska. She's like, here's your money. And I'm taking like a 10% commission from it. I'm like, okay, fine. See you later. And then like 10 years go by and they're in New York and Addison decides he's going to be an architect and Wilson's like, Oh, I'm going to find some rich floozy to marry. And Addison's like, well, I'm designing a house for this one rich widower. So Wilson goes to seduce her only to find out it's the saloon girl from before. And he, and we find out that she took the money that she stole from the saloon, bought a ticket to New York, bought herself a fancy dress and basically like, planted herself in all of the fancy parties for a month until she found a rich guy and then he died and it made her the richest woman in America. And then Maisie LeBird was cut. And then Maisie LeBird was cut. I think what got her the part was Maisie LeBird. They were like, that's a bitch who knows how to wiggle. Right. We, not wiggle. She can wear a feather boa. <laughs> feather boa. Um, the part was supposed to be Faith Prince, but something happened. So I don't oh, know. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, but Michelle Pock is better casting. She's more like... Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, more like been there, done that more sultry, kind of yeah. Yeah, and like can probably... Play, and like can best play off someone who's like had a hard life, but like now is sort of uh, christened herself as like a woman of society. You might be getting there, but is that what Bernadette was playing at one point? When was Bernadette in this? 
Bernadette was in it at one point, but I but I, I read it so in such passing that I don't know what role it was a role that was cut. Okay, that might have been the role then. Yeah, because the role gets cut once it gets to be Roadshow. You keep um, talking and I'll find it. Okay. So yeah, like up until so this is like Nell the role of Nelly is who Michelle Pock plays. And it's uh the one big role that's added between Wise Guys and Roach and uh sorry, in uh between Wise Guys and Bounce. And they open to the Goodman to kind of like tepid reviews. Everyone's basically like, there's a lot of interesting stuff here, but you know, they need to keep working. They kind of cut the whole vaudeville uh, structure of the show, but they sort of keep the aesthetic. So like, even though there aren't breaks in the story, they still sort of bookend it with these vaudeville scenes that take place in limbo because it still opens with um, Addison and Wilson dead and on top of that the design and the staging is very vaudeville like very flat painted scrims the acting is very broad so it's like what are we doing if this isn't necessarily a vaudeville like it's it's a vaudeville style show but it's not a vaudeville so everyone was just very confused meanwhile Hal Prince promptly leaves after opening night because he has to like go accept an award in Germany and he's like oh it's also my summer vacation so like I'll see you guys when the show closes and they're like, no, we got to work on this. So they let the show play. It's running the good, uh, at the Goodman. While that's happening, Hal Prince strikes a deal with the Kennedy Center. And he's like, hey, uh, we just sold out our run at the Goodman. We want this to go to Broadway, but it needs work. Uh, can we take this to the Kennedy Center in October? Give us like a nice six-week rehearsal period. Kennedy Center is like, absolutely. We finally get to have our Sondheim commission. And... So they take that six-week period. They work on the show a bit more. <clears throat> they cut some stuff. They move some stuff around. The uh, one big change they make is they add a song called Best Thing That Ever Has Happened, which we'll get to more when we discuss the show. Uh, they open at the Kennedy Center. Prince is like, "This, we all agree. This is the show we want. We're so happy with it opening. The reviews come out and they're even worse than they were at the Goodman because they're like, not only does the show no longer have potential, but like they took six weeks to work on it and they made it weaker. Um, and like, and these are supposed to be like guys at the top of their game. These are like the gods of musical theater what the fuck is happening? And it, there again, there was, I cannot emphasize enough how much people wanted Fetch to happen with this show because yeah. we were, there was a, it was a period where for me in my life, I was thrilled because we had Hairspray, we had Mamma Mia. I love those shows for what they are. But Prince was like, he, he literally said in a quote in his book, he was like, it's really hard to get Bounce to come to Broadway because we're in a territory where Mamma Mia's thriving and Hairspray just opened and I don't want to see that. And it's very like, they're very bitter. They don't think that the that the industry wants them anymore. And it's like, no, everybody wants you. You just have to make the show interesting. And they just- Yeah, you're also writing it. about like white men and white men problems, you know? It's, yeah- that was also 2003 where people were still very into that. Um, right. But, I'm but saying it's like, like you're writing white men, you're, you're writing about white men problems in literally the most boring way. If you're going to write a show about that, you need to keep us engaged. Mm -hmm. And the show is just like not engaging. Right. In fact, I would argue bounce slash roadshow is like the prime example of a show that's about, um, you know, comfortable white men in a period of America where like the world was their oyster. Right. And, as an audience you're like i don't care right all. exactly like i just couldn't care less right. um and i think that's what people think about when they're when they think about shows about white men i'm like no there are some good ones this is like one where you're just like oh right you really have to work to make this interesting because otherwise right. i don't care um sorry 
I had a dry throat for a second talking so damn long about this show. I was five years younger younger when I began this history. <clears throat> so show dies in Kennedy's at the Kennedy Center in DC. Hal Prince is like, we're gonna make an album and we're gonna do a staged concert for the Actors Fund uh, to revive interest in the show. The album happens, staged concert doesn't happen because they couldn't sell enough tickets, which is telling about the show. So they sort of let it die. And then a year goes by and Sondheim and Wyman are like, we really want to give this another shot. Sam Mendes wasn't the guy. Hal Prince wasn't the guy. Then they go, hmm, maybe Eric Schaefer is the guy. And for anyone who knows who Eric Schaefer is, director, former artistic director of the Signature Theater, uh, he is a reported sexual groper. Um, is sexual groper redundant? Because I don't think there's a groping that isn't sexual. Can you grope like an animal? No, oh, that's sexual. sexual. <laughs> that's it's sexual. It's not like it's not like padding. No, it's, no, groping you're not, is. You're not patting someone in the back. You're gro- you're groping them. Yeah, so sexual. I guess it's I guess it's a little uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like saying a chesty a redundant. Belter. You yeah. can't say a chesty belter. Yeah, that's the only kind of belter there is. <laughs> I know, right? Or otherwise, uh, they're not a belter. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, it's simply mixing. Right. <laughs> so, yes, Eric Schaefer, uh, reported groper. They go to him because uh, Sondheim had had some success with Eric Schaefer as a director. He'd done the whole, like, Sondheim Festival in the early 2000s at the Kennedy Center. That's where, like, Melissa Erico did Sunday in the Park with George. Raul Esparza did Mary Lee Roll Along. That whole spiel. And they get him to sort of work on the show with them and they get Oscar Eustace to produce a reading of the show at the public. They do the reading. Also, that's, that's where Bernadette was involved. She did the reading. She did that reading at the public. Okay. So I don't think, I don't think, so yeah. Okay. If that was the reading she did, she wasn't Nellie. I think she might've been the mom then because Nellie was cut by that point. Cause uh, Sondheim says basically like the only good thing, the two th- good things came out of the reading was that, they Eric Schaefer was like you should probably cut the part of Nellie it's padding like she's a lot of fun but she's padding and like it's about the brothers right so they cut they cut her but otherwise they were like Schaefer contributed nothing because he was just like too nice he was like oh do what you want and they do the right. reading they, like, need the a, they need to help yeah they're like the show's a mess and we don't know what to do but Oscar Eustace basically pulls them into his office and he's like okay yes your show's a mess so like let's look through the script for a second and like mm-hmm. point at the scenes that work and point at the scenes that don't and they said that was extremely helpful. And then they reach out to John Doyle, who had done Sweeney Todd and company at this point. And uh, once again, a very an odd choice when you think about it. A show about mm. America, it's about the turn of century America. They go to Scottish director John Doyle. They're like, Weird. you know about this, right? Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's not, it's interesting. Odd but choice. it does, yeah, it does work out for the best because John Doyle is... Um, people always say that his thing is like you know actors playing uh instruments that's not totally his thing because he doesn't do it that much anymore his thing is like streamlining he's like getting down to the exactly yeah. minimalistic getting down to like the bottom line of the story right um he doesn't love showstoppers he doesn't love um just like selling something for the sake of selling something i had uh antoine l smith on a few months ago actually at this point it'd probably be a year talking about the color purple revival and he was like uh, John really hated the fact that like we were always stopping the show with our performances. He's like he like he supported us and loved us, but like 
if it were up to John Doyle, there would have been no applause breaks in color purple, but he knew that that was just like impossible to do. I'm here. We're like, thank you. Yeah. He's like, how, he's like, how can we, I mean, actually like every number we're going to be like, cool, cool, cool. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I love about that show is that entire company was like, no, we're, we're going to make that audience pee themselves after every song. Yeah. Um, and John Doyle was like, could we maybe like have no applause break for this one? I'm like, no, John. He's like, okay, if you want. Like, no, we just belted our tits off. Yeah. In harmony. So. Yeah. And that's, I think that was sort of the other thing was John Doyle first day of rehearsal. He was like, this is not my story to tell. It's right. your story. I can, I'm going to give you staging. I'm going to tell you where to tighten things, but otherwise like you guys are in charge. And then when he was like, maybe we don't have all these showstoppers. They're like, no. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. I love that a director. Oh, okay. If you guys say, um, he's like, I trust you. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, but yeah, he basically is like, I really like the story. Give me the script. Um, I want to sort of like see what I can cut, what I can move around. And he does, he takes it down to a hundred minute one act. And sometimes like, this is great. You have some really weird transitions here, John, but don't worry. Like we're going to, we're going to write over those. So they get to have a production at the public in November of 2008 uh, with John Doyle as a director, starring Michael Cerveris and Alexandra Gemignani. Nelly is gone, but Hollis is there, now played by Claiborne Elder. It was Gavin Creel at The Good Men, fresh off of Thoroughly Modern Millie, giving us golden-throated. Oh, yeah, yeah. Singing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like. what happens after that, we'll get to. Luckily, it's short what happens after that, so we are making up the difference with a super-ass long uh, history. Now we get into the show. Jimmy... I'm going to let you take the wheel for a second because I've been talking for so long I forgot where I am. What is a song that sticks out to you that you would like to talk about first? Well, I mean, let's start with the opening, honestly. Right. So the opening, I actually was like into it. I was like, okay, this sounds mm-hmm. interesting. It kind of sounds giving me like opening of company, honestly, like all the little interjections, all the people, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really, It's it sounds like we're at like the end of a story about to go back because we're singing to a dead character mm-hmm. at this point but so I was like okay this is interesting like it's always it's always it's always a nice hook to be like, like how do we get to this point you know mm-hmm. why do all these characters have these opinions on this let's let's dive into it it doesn't live up to that but the opening did have me hooked in a good way yeah especially when you have the guy coming out there saying like you're the one I or I'm the one you fucked yep and I was like oh mm-hmm. what's happening here that you bought the plantation Remember me, I'm the one that you fucked. Such a good start. Such a bad end. Still he had taste. I'm the one that you fucked. Squandered his um, but basically the opening for anyone who doesn't know Rojo, aka most people, um, is just there it's called waste and it's about it's all these people saying that everything this man did and his life was a waste. Just Meaning different people Addison. from his yeah. yes, the the main character or one of the two main characters. Yeah. Um it's very true. It's it's very wicked in that way where everyone's mm-hmm. like having an opinion right. on the character and then wicked were like, how did we get there? And granted with wicked, it's a kind of similar to roadshow where it's like, Oh, she didn't actually do anything to give anyone this opinion. It was the publicity machine that did it. Right. Right. It's an easy out, but it's fine. We forgive it because it's wicked. Um, and no good deed was unpunished. Say what? 
no good deed goes unpunished. No good deed goes unpunished. But sometimes when you're dancing through life, you can get popular. <laughs> no. <laughs> he did not get popular. Jimmy is so over me today. Um, yeah, no. So as I said, Waste was originally a song called Bounce, from Bounce. And it's mm. the same melody line um, and the same, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, intro, intro music. Um, okay. What's it called when it's just like, it's repeating until you vamp. It's the same vamp. There we go. Okay. I've had a lot of trouble remembering words this week. Girl, we're all lost. We have no idea what's going on in the world. No, in the Broadway's wilderness. Coming back, we're not ready. No, we're not. We are not ready. Broadway's coming ready. back. We are not ready. Um, but that's to say, bounce. Same basic melody line, same vamp. I think even the like everyone singing over each other is kind of uh, still in bounce. Because again, in bounce, it's just the two brothers singing about their lives to the audience. Waste is, as you said, everyone else singing about Addison. Mm -hmm. And it does hook you because- Very Bobby Baby, Bobby Booby. Yes, very, it is. It's, yes, it's Bobby Baby, Bobby Booby. Uh, a little less um, energetic, I guess. Like it's a little less, it's less enthusiastic. It's a little more- Yeah, because they're all pissed. Yeah, it's yeah, it's everyone's more pissed off, so it's a little more tart and cynical. Right, uh, but it does interest you. You're like, okay, so who is this guy? What did he do? Who are these people? Mm -hmm. Um, and and it focuses on Addison, which is good because Addison is really the lead of the show. Wilson is sort of the antagonist. Ad Addison's the protagonist. Wilson is the antagonist, and what makes the show sort of the one thing I will say that makes the show kind of interesting is because of their very toxic relationship, Wilson has this very negative influence on Addison. So every time we see Addison like get close to something, Wilson messes it up either through a scheme that Wilson does or through Addison's own uh, broken need to please Wilson, uh, yeah. which we'll you know get to with some more plot stuff. But yes, it's I I prefer this to bounce. Um, I like all the um, Bobby babies, Bobby boobies. I like Claiborne Elders. I'm the one that you fucked, uh, which might be the first time fuck has ever been sung in a Sondheim score. Is it also the first gay relationship in a Sondheim musical or no? Uh, openly, yes. I have a theory that the okay. soldier in Sunday in the Park with George is gay and he's gay. Yeah, I don't him. know Sunday that well. See, that would, see, what I just said would blow your mind if you knew Sunday better. Jimmy, stop taking me off topic. We're not talking about Wicked. We're not talking about- But, so basically, yes, it is the first <laughs> Sondheim gay relationship is yes. what yes. we are oh, trying to say, stuff. besides your theories. Besides my theories, yes. Um, but do you not think that there are uh, gay undertones in Sweeney Todd? Between? Take your pick. I mean, there's, there could be gay undertones in- any show but sure. what i was saying was this is like the first time that like sondheim has explored like these are two men who are in love yes very much so and on top of that they have um the song in the show that is reworked from bounce which has now become uh like the only love duet i've seen in a sondheim score now that reflects back to West Side Story. And I'll tell you what I mean. Mm -hmm. So best thing that ever has happened originally was sung mm -hmm. between Nellie and Wilson um, in Bounce. And it was supposed to be this like sweet love song, but it had to have sort of a cynicism and an edge to it because first of all, Wilson's a bullshitter. He bullshits a bullshitter all the time. And Nellie is a hardened woman uh, who knows his bullshit. So when, and I use this word because in the original 
version of the song, he sings, You're still the best thing that ever has happened to me. Bullshit. Okay, the best thing that could ever happen to me. Bullshit. How could I realize what rich was really? Ideally, somewhere I should have been told. Kid, you've struck gold. And it makes the audience laugh. It might be, again, might be the first time Sondheim's ever written bullshit in a score. Uh, it also might be, this also might be the first time that Sondheim's written the word titty in a score. Um, and maybe ass, too. Ass is in there. Ass, I think, is in Follies. Okay. Actually, no, okay. I, I, know it, I know it's in Follies. Bet your ass. But Follies might also be the only one I titty, don't is, titty is in there titty titty is in is in roadshow it's in the uh gold bet your little titty boy um also speaking of this song did you ever see the version i looked up a version um there was one with and that, that was this was the first time i had seen the man and woman version so i didn't realize huh. that existed vanessa williams is in it norm is actually either addison or or hollis i'm guessing he's addison yeah it's um that's the sondheim on sondheim review yeah yeah, I saw. Yeah. I actually saw that on Broadway. Yeah, because and that's sometimes they talk about it in the review how it started off with the man and woman, and that's Vanessa Williams and I think mm-hmm. Tom Wopat. Yeesh. It um, is, yeah. And then it transfers to Norm Lewis and whoever the other guy is. Um, and it's lovely because once so once they got rid of the character of Nellie, they took the song and added it to Addison and Hollis, which helped sort of enhance the storyline of their relationship, which which was sort of given. Um, the shaft when it was bounced because there was a lot more emphasis on the Nellie Wilson romance mm-hmm. because Hal Prince was like, that's the thing that audiences want to see this. They want to see the straights. Um, and I think the song works better. It's first of all, it's much more earnest. It's much more um, personal and it gives you a moment of reprieve in the show where that's like not total cynicism like at an arm's length because the whole show even though the vaudeville concept like is stripped away for roadshow and it's just the story it's still very commenting on which is a very john weidman thing like pacific overtures and assassins are like like senior thesis kind of musicals right where it's these like ideas and everything takes place in sort of either a limbo or they take place sort of as a history lesson and everyone's sort of um a mock-up uh and how they are pieced together in the course of time and Roadshow is very much the same. And so this song adds some depth to Hollis and to Addison, which I really enjoy. And when I say West Side Story, so people have been listening to this podcast, uh, which Jimmy, I know you have, so forgive me, but I have complained. It's not a complaint. It's just an observation. Ever since West Side Story, Sondheim doesn't ever write another love song that is as earnest and as pure as tonight. He okay. he has to write something that always mm. has like a kind of edge about it, which is fine. That's mm-hmm. that it's good for storytelling. It's good for actors. Like you have something like losing my mind, which is like I love you so much, and I'm going insane because of it. Or you have sending mm-hmm. the clowns, which is like we both love each other, and this just isn't, and we've missed it, and I've fallen. There's egg on my face, and fuck, like I sending the clowns. I can't cry right now. Or you have passion, which is like either. I love you. No, get away from me. Or we both love each other and I'm dying because of it. Like, it's not, 
no one's ever happy. Nothing's going to harm you is kind of one way, you know? Yeah. There's like, and- there's like the, like, it takes two is kind of sincere, but it comes out of a fight. It comes out of a fight and, and context is also everything. And they've also been, they've also been together for so long. Yes. It's more of, that's more of a reconnection. And it's also like, like this, we is, love this is pure. Yeah. And it takes two is less of, is love is in there, but it's also more about like, we're a team. We're going to like get this job done. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, you could argue Joanna and Sweeney Todd, but that's less of like a two people in love and more of like a. Like, One I'm person pining f- after. Yeah, exactly. And there's a ferociousness to it. I talked about it on the Sweeney episode, the closest we get in Sweeney is like the kiss me section with Joanna and Anthony, but even Sondheim can't like let it go. He has to include the joke that Joanna doesn't even know Anthony's name. And it's like hectic, I feel like, you know? Yeah, it's 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 a lot. So he, like, I guess you could argue maybe like the end of passion, but like that doesn't even really count because Giorgio is like kind of dying and going insane because of it. Like he's had a total mental breakdown when that moment happens. Um, this is like really the only song and it's less like passionate and operatic than West Side Story, but it is very tender and earnest. Just um, sweet, yeah. We may just be the best thing that has happened to us, kiddo partner. Another moment like this may not happen to us, partner lover. When all is said and done, I have to agree. You are the best thing that's happened to yeah, it's why yeah. I actually like this. It's, it's why I like this song probably most of all in the score. Uh, after this would be Talent, which is Hollis's intro song, which I really like a lot. I feel like that's also like the one that like, if someone knows one song, like if I had seen a YouTube video of this, it's probably like Gavin Creel singing it. And that's, I think, the bounce version. It is right? the bounce version. It's the, it's the same song. Um, yeah, but I feel like that's the only song that I'm like, maybe I might have heard that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it it is unchanged for roadshow which i appreciate that's cool. this is also a song that like a lot of guys would sing in studio in college um because it's like not an overdone sondheim mm-hmm. tenor song and it's also not that difficult to sing i think it goes up no. to a g maybe in a sharp um and it's very yeah and it's very act uh actable and what i also like about it is because um hollis and addison meet on a train heading to florida and it's all about Hollis basically saying, like, I want to create an artist colony in Palm Beach. That's like, that's what Palm Beach is going to be, an artist colony. And we as the audience are like, oh, you stupid, stupid bitch. Um, but the music has sort of this motor under it, which I really like, because it reflects the fact that they're on a train. It's very how, um, sorry to bring up Wicked again, but Stephen Schwartz talks about that the whole reason why the intro to the music underneath Wizard and I has that sort of like, motor to it because it was supposed to be on a train it was originally the song making good which Mm -hmm. when she was on a train when she sang it so that's why the um accompaniment has that sort of like motor to it because it's supposed to be like a train um and then they just kept it even though she's not on the train anymore which i like it 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 actually also sounds um a little when you said the train thing it also kind of sounds when i just did that for wizard night it sounded like i was doing um shed no tears um what is it uh strangers of the rain Oh yeah. Ding 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 ding. Yeah. No, um, I totally hear that. Which makes sense, but yeah, it's like that that one sounds more like a boat, but yeah. Like <laughs> well, she is on a boat. Right. Yeah, exactly. Not a boat that has probably like uh 
a belt like that but no but yeah it's it's steven schwartz and they they already take enough liberties with the bible in that show i'm sure they could have added a bell on that boat <laughs> for sure when i was a tyke i said what i like is art I know I'm a boy, but what I enjoy is art. Looking at paintings, going to plays, music and books informing my days, filling my mind, flooding my heart with art. I had this dream of becoming I was, an artist. Sorry, Sondheim. I was laughing a little during. I mean, how do you say it personally? Boca Raton? Boca. They say it Boca. Boca Raton is how they Raton. say it. Raton. I think that's how it's technically. Boca Raton. Boca Raton, I think, is how it's technically pronounced, but we're we say, we say how we say things. It sounded that that felt like a very like cheesy Sondheim song to me. It felt very talents persony, like rumor in St. Petersburg. Like it just it felt very like it felt very talents persony to me. And I was like, I was I happened to be like talking to my friend who we we always joke about townspeople songs in general, sure. but it just felt so generic. And I was like, eh. um, another one that I was like. It just felt like a little predictable. Although the lyrics, some of the lyrics are really pretty is um, I'm looking up to the list now. What's it called? Um, it's in your hands now, just because it's it, just because like what happens right after, I don't know if I should say it or whatever, but say, like, say. I mean, it's in the, it's in the first minutes, you know, the, yeah. um, the dad is singing to the son saying like, it's in your hands now. I'm passing this on to you and like croaks the second after it's over. And it's like, yeah. okay, this felt mm-hmm. a little predictable. But there are some really pretty lyrics in that song. That song actually is really pretty. It's just predictable. It also, the melody for it is um, kind of stolen from Assassins. It's, oh, I see. And I don't know Assassins that well either. Yeah. Well, I mean, once you listen to, all you have to do is listen to Assassins once mm-hmm. and then listen to that song and you're like, oh. First of all, there's a lot. Yeah. Um, even if you're not like a total Sondheim buff, you'll hear like influences of other Sondheim scores in this. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, like you can hear influences of Into the Woods, Assassins, Merrily, um, Company, as you mentioned. It's it's all over the place. Uh, the Assassin stuff is more about the Americana sound of the show and how Sondheim in both Assassins and this mm-hmm. uses that sound sort of against the idea of the American dream of taking this like wholesome... Uh, music and then making it slightly toxic so um i think isn't it uh it's in your hands now it's like either the new national anthem or ballad of booth maybe it's both but it's he uses them a lot of the music from that almost like note for note it's crazy but you know i know they had a lot of trouble with that song originally because they needed to have show the dad die so speaking also like of how we're jumping around, the show jumps around because it starts with their death and Wilson and Addison like talking about their lives and then they start fighting and then all of a sudden we cut back to them like at age 15 uh, and their dad's dying and their mom is like mm-hmm. telling them that they have to go pay their final respects and their dad on the deathbed is like, it's all about opportunity. And they had a lot of trouble figuring out the tone because back when it was a vaudeville, they're like, well, we need the song to be funny. And they're like, how do you make a man dying funny? Right. Um, especially when you've never met this man before. So they tried to like have this running joke originally where like, as he's dying, he's mumbling that we can't really understand. And the mom's interpreting it. And sometimes she gets it wrong. Oh no, oh no. Yeah. So like there's um, the one good joke is how she's like, uh, she says, uh, uh, she's interpreting and she says, we're poor, but but we're in Michigan. And he goes, no, no, no. She goes, oh, but we'll be rich again. So Michigan, rich again. Yeah, it's, it's funny. 
but that's the yeah. one time it's funny. The rest of it is cool, though. Yeah, They're, it's it sounds like a little bit of a bit, uh, too much of a bit. It is too much of a bit, and I think they were smart to not try to make it funny here. Uh, the problem is, is that it is kind of a little dull, um, mm-hmm. and in a show where it's very. Mm-hmm. It's very Avita asking like, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then I do this, and then I do this. Like, there's not a lot of, there's not a major through line in this show. You kind of need to like, like if it's gonna be an episodic kind of thing, get to the next episode, past right. the commercial break. Um, I do really like Gold. I find Gold to have a lot of, um, it's like very dynamic Broadway e energy, and actually reminds me weirdly of like Janine Desori music. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like I would no, imagine, I, could, I hear that. Yeah, like very violet kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, I don't. Yeah, it's it's I, I, it's a song that I could imagine Janine Tesori writing. And we um, always love a song with an exclamation point at the end. <laughs> and this is the song that has titty in it. Gold, yeah, bet your little titty boys. Gold, gold, nuggets this thick. Gold, gold, go to Dawson City, boys. It isn't very pretty, but it's get rich quick. Found me a mother load. Weren't no trick. Wanna find another load, dig in any mountain, pan in any creek, grab yourself a bucket and a Which just goes to show you. Well, I mean, times had changed. Yeah. Times was hard and times have changed. Times is hard. Good times, bum times. Bum times. And son times. Um, <laughs> Not son times. Come on. I thought that's that was a great. That's a great, like, that's a great, like, concert or something. Son time. Good times, bum times, son times. Yeah, something like that. I like that. Okay, we'll we'll curate that. Yeah, I have the idea. It. You're gonna produce it. Yeah, great. And Devin will arrange all the music. I don't know if he wants to arrange son time, but <laughs> it's it's a challenge. How do you turn roadshow into a bop? Oh my right goodness. Away? Well, I guess best thing that's ever happened could be one. Yeah, you can make that into the a lyrics one. are generic enough. Yeah, I like it. It's cute. Um. Yeah, again, gold is just like, I don't know. There's also something about um, the single-mindedness of it, of it all, how they're always just like shouting gold throughout the entire thing. It just, it, it gives it um, this energy that I really enjoy and like kind of builds you up only for it then to die pretty soon afterwards. Because mm-hmm. it's about like, oh, we're going to go to Alaska. We're going to dig gold. And then they go to Alaska and it's a, it's bum. Uh and they sing a song called Brotherly Love. Did you read any of the script, by the way, on MTI? Yeah. Okay. Uh, also, Brotherly Love is where I start to feel a little bit of those ancestral, like, kind of vibes. Yeah. Well, because... Brotherly Love? Like... <laughs> mm-hmm. Em- emphasis on the brotherly. Uh, it's it's a lot. They There's a moment where they sh- they are sharing a sleeping bag. I don't remember why. Either, like one got ruined or to keep warm and Addison gets an erection like being that close to his brother and has to turn away but he doesn't tell Wilson what's going on Wilson's like he's like no spoon me like that's how we're gonna get warmer we're cold we're cold spoon me and he's like no I'm good I'm good and it's like I I don't remember that moment on stage at all um I, the, I mean, there's not a ton I remember from the public production. The one thing I do remember is, um, no, we'll get to it. We'll get to it um, in the history and the legacy. But um, yeah, I, I don't know if it was like meant to be played for laughs. It's very uncomfortable to read. Right. Um, Cause like, I don't, 
I don't know. I guess I can't like speak for others, but I, I don't... mean, I, and I guess what they're trying to do there probably is like be like, oh, I've never been this close to a man, you know, like yeah. I, I've only been this close to a woman. So maybe maybe I'm interested in men, but it just happens to be his brother, which is very uncomfortable. Yeah. But also those themes kind of come back, I feel like toward the end with like the, the breaking up of everything and everything unraveling, it's very like you need yeah. me, you know, like it's very, it can, it, it's a little complicated. Nuance. Yeah, it is a very complicated thing. And like, I want to be very clear. The writers are not telling you that like Addison's feelings towards his brother are good. Right. Uh, that scene was just weird to read. Cause I wasn't sure if the intention was like supposed to be played slightly for laughs or right. if it was meant to like, if it was meant to make us uncomfortable. Um, that's up to, I guess, to actors and directors. Yeah. They sing a song called brotherly love, which is new to, Roadshow and is actually the last song Sondheim wrote for the show. Like they wrote it in previews at the public. So it's technically the last Sondheim song to be heard in public. Like the new one anyway. Remember when I was in bed with the mumps and had to stay in New Year's Eve? Frankly, no. Remember how I was so down in the dumps when everyone started to leave? Jesus, it's cold. Are you sorry we came, Willie? You sorry we came? Yes. No. I will actually say, I think the song for me that best exemplifies what doesn't work about Roadshow is the song Addison's Trip, which is um, chronicling Addison. Oh, yeah. Yeah, taking his money uh, and traveling the world and uh, trying to like find his place. And the song went through a lot of different um, versions. Originally Sondheim wrote it to be like a tour de force showstopper for the actor playing Addison. And he talked mm-hmm. about how like, it just never happened. Nathan Lane did it and it didn't work. And then Richard Kind did it. And like the, the response was always like, that was nice, but never erupt. Um, and of course, John Doyle, he's like, I don't care a whit about showstoppers. Like what does it do for the story? And it tells a story, but it is very much Addison. Actually, the good thing about this song, I think there's a lot of good about the music. I think that there's a nice pep to it. Um, there's some good lyrics there. And I like that at the end, it sort of has a reason for existing, which is that, you know, he realizes his flair for architecture. Because mm-hmm. basically the concept of the this, of this song is he travels the world, he tries all these things and fails, but he has all these souvenirs. And then he's left where with all these souvenirs. Them. Yeah, where to put them all. And then he's like, oh, I'll build a house for them. Like, I can build houses. I'm really good at this. The problem with the song is that it is a rinse and repeat number. By which I mean, he goes to one country, tries something, fails. Rinse and repeat. They try to like add a through line of how like he's trying to impress his mother and also how like Wilson is kind of always on his mind. I don't know if you could tell on the cast album, every time he went to a place and they're like, you just did this. And then someone would say, unfortunately, the person saying, unfortunately is Michael Cerverus as Wilson. So like, that was their way of trying to be like, no matter what you do, like Willie's kind of following you. Right. Exactly. Which is clever, but that doesn't really, that works like maybe two times. Right. They do it like five Maybe, maybe four, but like, it's a lot to the right. point where you're like, enough. We get it. Yeah. I'm on my way, discouraged, not at all. I'm on my way to I don't care where or when. A brand new day and a brand new port of call. 
I'm on my way again. A small delay doesn't shake my confidence. I'm on my way to discover who I am. And on my way, I've acquired experience. Plus a rat hand stool from a native hut. A candle stand made of coconut. A whatnot made out of God knows what. I'm on my way again. Hot damn. And the whole, the whole song is a reflection of the whole musical, which just feels a little scattered. And yeah. it's like, where are we going with this? You know? Yeah. Like, it's never boring, but it's always like, okay, but why? What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And what's crazy is that this is a show that Sondheim has cared about for so long and wanted to do for so long. And now he's actually like really proud of its final form. And like, this is not a, this is not a bad show. Like there are much worse shows than Roadshow, but it is in the way that Sondheim talks about his shows. Yeah. Compared to what he's done very much so. And like Sondheim talks about, do I hear a waltz being such a why musical? And I'm like, do I hear a waltz actually could have been a good musical. You guys just fucked it up. This for me is a why musical. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I guess because these brothers both had done so much in their lives, but also like fucked up so many times, it's like, well, what do we include? And you want to include their whole lives, but it's like, I think the better thing to do would be like to narrow it down a bit. Um, because there's just so much going on and like, you don't care about really any of it and nothing's giving a, a lot of weight. Uh, one of the things that Sam Mendes told them when they were writing it as wise guys, he was like, don't be so concerned about historical accuracy. Like right. if it, if it helps the dramatic structure, feel free to change something. And they take that to heart with the whole like Hollis storyline, mm-hmm. but they could have taken it to heart a bit more. Um, and and you said how how did they know? How did they know that he was closeted? Like, because that is factual, but Hollis is made up. Hollis, yes, Hollis is a fictionalized version of Paris Singer, who was his straight business partner. And so basically they took that character and they're like, let's make him his, also his lover. And in order to like avoid a lawsuit, we'll make a, up a new name for him. Um, and so he wasn't historically caused, like, I mean, you can't- I mean, I think he was, his, he was, I'm not entirely sure how they knew. I think it was sort of like public knowledge among his friends that he was gay okay. because I don't, I don't know. Like, it's not like he was closeted and like married somebody. He never married. He was, he was never ever seen with a woman. And the understanding is that, cause the other thing with Addison is like, he became um, a uh, food addict and gained a lot, a lot of weight in the later years of his life. And a lot of his friends attributed that to his sexual repression and mm-hmm. not tapping into that uh yeah I'm not, i mean i don't know all the i don't know all the crazy details of addison's life i've not read the bio but it right. is generally agreed upon by everyone who either knew addison meisner or like read the biography or read about the brothers that addison was gay um, got it yeah um yeah i don't think they they didn't make that up and in fact in wise guys when it was nathan lane and victor garber they didn't include the gay stuff because Michael C. Hall was still playing <clears throat> the real Paris singer. And so oh, I would have, have loved that. to see Nathan do the, the I, I think that would have been a great vehicle for him too. Absolutely. And in fact, like, I think just make the show more about Addison. I think that's right. a more compelling storyline than like, I think Willie Meisner would have been a really great movie or miniseries and like a Breaking Bad 
social network kind of way of like this toxic dude. Yeah, Willie's um, just so hectic that like centering around him makes the whole show more hectic. Yeah. Um, so in order to, if you're going to include Willie in the show, it needs to be Addison's story with like Willie kind of coming in and mm-hmm. fucking things up every now and then, which they like try to yeah. do, but they, there's still a bit too much emphasis, uh, too much focus on Willie for my taste. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Yeah. Although there is a good Sondheim song in there called That Was a Year where it's about all the people that Willie encountered in his life and screwed over. So it's like him as a Broadway playwright, him as a uh, manager and like all these people who had all this promise and they got together and they were inspired for a year and then he fucked them over somehow just like by being um, flaky. Right. Boca Raton, the section of Boca Raton that you talked about earlier, that's very like, it's not totally. It felt, it felt, um, it felt Atlantic City. From Ragtime. Yeah, it's more, I think, I would yeah, I would say it's more that than St. Petersburg because there's not a lot of energy about it. Um, it is supposed to be, the concept is, so in the story, Addison is, has gone down to Florida, has met Hollis. They are basically, they've created a business where Addison builds all these giant mansions for America's uh, high society because originally in palm beach there was nothing but just like one hotel and all the high society uh liked being in florida to vacation but they hated the fact there was nothing to do so basically Mm -hmm. addison meisner built palm beach and hollis was this you know poor little rich boy so he had all the connections so together they built palm beach and everything's going well then willie shows up and willie convinces hollis to truly build a full city like hollis's artist colony let's say and it was going to be boca raton and they basically create and then the show implies that they also cause the florida real estate boom and bust uh which was basically how like everybody was buying property in florida expecting to flip it and then that didn't end up happening so a lot of people lost a lot of money um it also doesn't help that it happened around the time of the uh wall street crash mm-hmm. But yeah, in the show, it's meant to sort of be like start off as this like seductive radio ad. They have like a they have the Boca Raton girl, and she's saying like Boca Raton, come down to Boca Raton. Which in the workshop, Wise Guys workshop, it's sung by Lauren Ward, and gives me life when I hear her sing it. Um, <clears throat> to that one, it's it's not great, but it is interesting to hear, right? Um, especially like you can totally tell when Christopher Christopher Fitzgerald is playing a part when it's Kevin Chamberlain when it's Nancy Opal yeah um, the names wow oh yeah oh yeah Jessica Malaski um it's it's real good and then Jessica Bovers I don't know if you if that name means mm-hmm. anything to you she was Ado Annie in the Patrick Wilson Oklahoma and then she oh, was someone, the f- I just saw a video of her doing it actually like yeah, she, just good voice she also is the female lead in the Lemon musical, otherwise known as In My Life. Oh, I don't know that at all. Ooh. Oh, I'm going to change your world. In My Life, written by, uh, jo- I think his name is Joseph Brooks. He's the guy who wrote You Light Up My Life. Okay. He wrote, he wrote a musical? He wrote, a, yep, score and book, and he directed and produced it too. Wow. Christopher J. Hank, or Henek, I think is his last name, uh, was the male lead, and it was about a woman with ocd and a a journal sorry a female journalist with ocd and a male songwriter who has tourettes meet and fall in love but he he has tourettes but he doesn't want it to uh 
uproot his life, he wants to be inspired by it. So every time he has, he shouts an obscenity, he has to rhyme it. So he shouts out fuck. And then he goes suck. And then he says duck. Oh my goodness. Yep. Um, And they have sex and kind of fall in love. But then you also find out that he had a kid sister who died in a car crash. But then on top of all that, we flash up to heaven where the kid's sister is. And she's talking to some plumber guy whose name is like Bob or something only to find out that it's actually God. And God wants to write a reality pop opera with the people of earth and asks an angel to direct it. And there's the whole thing about lemons and there are dancing skeletons and there are pirates and it's insane. Wow. It's biggest legacy. Light of my life. Oh, it's it. I need to, I need to find some clips and send that's, it your way. That's real. That sounds really, really wild. Yeah. Oh, it's like perhaps the most um, notorious flop of this century, maybe other than Dance of the Vampires, just because it was yeah. like so everyone was like, I can't believe this is real. Right. The biggest thing about it is that it was Jonathan Groff's Broadway debut. He was a swing in the show. Wait, what? Mm-hmm. Oh, the swing? He was a swing. Crazy, right? Wild. So wild. I, I, oh God, I'm so glad I'm here to share this information with you. Yeah, never heard it in my life. In your life? Oh, okay. In and that was, life? and that was, um, that made it to Broadway, you said? That was, it did. You said, oh, you Me- said it was Broadway debut. So yeah. Yeah. Music Box Theater. I think it was like 2005. And ran for how long? Like a month. I mean, more than some shows. Oh yeah, maybe maybe it wasn't even that long. It was like it definitely was longer than it deserved. But I, I who's to say? Um, <laughs> this is all to say. Boca Raton. That yeah, it's not my favorite song. It's better in the Bounce cast album because it's larger and they include more of the ensemble and it's like they include more about the boom and how everybody's like trying to buy property and trying to sell it flip it for so much money and then that eventually just goes bust um it's a little more laid back in the roadshow cast album and therefore in my opinion a little more boring uh but it does lead to a big confrontation between the two brothers uh get out go and i think you referenced it earlier where it's like that you, you need me you want me you don't want me to go you love me and leads to addison's big declaration yes i love you i've always loved you i don't want you to go and I don't know if the audience totally got that it meant that Addison was like, I'm in love with you, but uh, maybe they did. Who's to say? Come on, Addie, you love me. Come on, say it out loud. Come on, Addie, you love me. You love me. You always I love you. I always have loved you. Does that make us even? Does that make you happy? Did you, did you, did that come across to you? I mean, it, it definitely just like, it actually, it, it struck a little more when I, when I watched a video, there's a video of the finale mm. from the one with Alex in it. Yeah. And uh, watching someone do it. I mean, it's a whole different, it's a whole different, ball game when you listen to it and read it versus watch someone performing it of course but i definitely do think that there are clear undertones in the way it's acted of like i'm so conflicted because i love you so much and possibly love you more than i'm saying 
even though you've fucked my life over so much mm-hmm. that I'm, I love you so much that I'm willing to give up this person that I've found love with when, when you're showing up in my life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In the clip, does, does it include the altercation between Alexander Gemignani and Claiborne Elder? No, I don't think okay. so. Yeah. Cause he, yeah, he basically, right before. yeah, he turns on Hollis and he basically, uh, and right. Cause it becomes an ultimatum between Hollis and yes. Wilson and uh, Addison chooses Wilson. Uh, mm-hmm. And not only does he choose Wilson, he then like go, he rails off on Hollis in a way that oh, it no, is. No, 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 it does have it. It does. It does. Because it's like, uh, wait, you keep, keep going. Yeah. He's like, he's like, yeah, boy, did I, he's like, I got so laid because of you with you and yes. your daddy issues. And then Claiborne slaps him. Yeah. He's like, at least I got laid, you know? Yeah. He's like, oh, and boy, did I. Yes. Which he doesn't even mean. He just says it because he's he's decided to have an alliance with with Michael Serve. Although I will say nobody wears a wig like Michael Serve is. The wig he has for that show is quite good. <laughs> it's like is it was it was that like blondish right or no? Yeah, it's like sandy, uh, like uh, dirty blonde. I would say yeah, dirty blonde. It's a good wig. Um, they also yeah, I guess it's not really weird. It. It's just really weird to see with him with hair. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, he had, I don't think, I didn't realize that he was bald um, until after I saw Sweeney Todd because I knew of him from Assassins. I hadn't seen Assassins, but I'd seen all like the photos. I had the cast album and I was like, oh, look at that luscious head of hair. And then I saw Sweeney Todd. I'm like, oh, I guess he shaved it. And then like a year after Sweeney Todd and there was no hair growing back. I was like, oh, I guess he is bald. You're like, I guess he had been bald and that was a, beautiful luscious wig that was a beautiful luscious wig um yeah i mean fun home decent wig he th- i don't know what, who his hairdresser is in in these shows but every time he wears a wig i'm like that's a good wig <laughs> like that that looks pretty authentic to me maybe it's just also easier if you have no ha- hair under it to yeah you know, i mean that's why it. trixie and katya shave their head <laughs> i'm assuming final thoughts on this score on this show before we continue onwards well you also made me think by the way when we're on the drag race you made me think of pheromone when you said earlier you're like you don't love me (laughs) (laughs) um i mean the only other most of the other thoughts i have are just like casting thoughts of the different casts i saw and stuff like i found it really interesting that brandon was playing the older brother to raul uh, is the old, the older one is Addison? Addison's older. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh. I mean, I'm, let, me, let me like let me just look really quick. I'm, but I'm ninety nine percent sure. Okay. Because the, the show makes his younger brother Wilson appears. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because they always because they make it seem like from the dynamic that Wilson's older. But okay. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and then I felt like well because I I I I feel the vibe of like my younger brother who doesn't have a life together, who's messing everything up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I guess is what it is, but that was weird to me that Brandon would be playing Raul's older brother. It yeah. just doesn't read that way to me at all. And then I was like, am I crazy? Are they like the same age? And then I looked it up and Brandon is 15 years younger. So I was like, that was a really interesting choice to me. But you know, that's also kind of, that's also just like how the casting has always gone for this show because when they did the very first reading, Patrick Wilson was Addison and Victor Garber was Wilson. And 
then again, Nathan Lane was Addison and Victor Garber was Wilson. And then uh, uh, with Bounce, Richard Kind and Howard McGillan are around the same age, but I feel like around 2003, Richard Kind read a bit, uh, uh, Howard McGillan read a bit older. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Michael Service reads is older than uh, Alexander Gemignani. So even if, if Wilson is technically younger, I don't know why they cast it so that Addison feels younger. The, Mi- the Michael Alex one doesn't feel as dramatic to me, but Brandon. feel closer Raleigh. in age, but I, yeah, I, I do I, get an older brother vibe from uh, Michael. Yeah, I can see that. Um, maybe, that would the, cha- maybe that would change the show, Jimmy. I was interested in um, the one, the video that I was watching that I was like, oh, this, he seems a little more interesting to me than than most is um what's his face from the prom uh josh is it layman lam uh i think layman yeah layman um i was like oh that i would be curious to see him do the whole show like you know he just seemed different than the other people that had done it you know well we'll get to her um when we get to your round rapid fire questions but okay so like when you were when you listen to the score like anything else sort of like came to your mind while listening to it, like oh that's interesting or like oh i kind of expected more from this or um i mean we talked about most of the songs loved i was interested with the opening mm. um i mean a lot of them just to be honest feel pretty forgettable to, like a lot of the score seems a little forgettable to me yeah um it just all feels a little bit like one note nothing really like jumped out at me like of like oh my god i need to listen to that song again later i mean best thing that's ever happened was the only one and talent mm-hmm. and the opening maybe are the only ones that i'd be like oh yeah, i'd be curious to listen to those again yeah maybe get, maybe get out go, slash go for um mm-hmm. for like the drama of it but yeah a lot of the score is for me compared to especially all of sometimes stuff it just feels a little unforgettable yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. There are other songs that have pieces, like I mentioned, Addison's Trip. Like there are things in them where you're like, oh, that's interesting. Right. But they don't uh, make a cohesive whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't congeal, one might say. That's a good word. I just thought of a good word. Congeal. Congeal. Yeah. For some, I When I was doing the Pacific Overtures episode, I couldn't think of the word ceremony for like an hour and yeah i was so mad at myself and then my guest had the uh cajones to say um i think he said dichotomy and i was like how dare you sir (laughs) just throw that in my face you won't be hearing any of that from me no man that's why i brought you on so i brought you on vocabulary person you can sound you can sound real smart Mm, i try i don't always but i try um yeah so as i mentioned so the show opens november 18th 2008 uh, the critical response was kind of a little all over the place, which granted was better than it was for Bounce, which was overwhelmingly negative. Had some positive reviews, a lot of mixed reviews and quite a few negatives. The big one, the New York Times was sort of like, eh, it's better than it was, but this is still not very good. And even the positive reviews that I read, like Variety and um, Linda Weiner were like, basically saying, you should see this because it's time And even like a mediocre Sondheim is worth seeing. There's always something right. there, which is fair. Like there are things in this show, but it's not very good. Um, and it's kind of disappointing. Uh, the be- the biggest praise went to John Doyle's direction and then Michael Service and Alexander Gemignani's performances, which were very good. I do remember that. And the other thing 
I brought it up earlier. I'll finally say it now. The big takeaway I remember from this show was John Doyle's direction. Uh, two things he did that I really liked. Every time they built a house in the U section, uh, you know, where like Hollis is singing to uh, Addison, where have you been all my life? And then Addison's building the houses for the rich people. And every time the house is built, the the rich women are like, look at it. Anne L. Nathan doing her best bitstresses. Aisha DeHaas doing her best bitstresses. Look at it. Look at it. Every time they built a house, it was like a dollhouse that I think Wilson put on a crate. So you got to see it and it was like each one was bigger than the other. So it was a really clever way of showing the houses. And then on top of that, um, every time opportunity was discussed in any form, whether it was gold, whether it was a job, whether it was whatever, people would throw money in the air until by the end of the show, the stage was littered with, uh, with dollar yes. bills. I saw, I saw, I saw videos of that. They were like yeah. kicking the dollar bills around. Yeah. And a touch that I think was interesting. I don't know if it was because they just like ran out of ink. I think it must've been deliberate. Was that like, I think at some point in the show, the dollar bills ended up, started going blank. So they were like originally like $10 bills, a hundred dollar bills. And then somewhere over the course of the show, the money just became blank paper. It just, um, the the price didn't even matter anymore. Yeah. Exactly, and it's and it's all just paper at one point, you know, uh, which was clever. I love that. Yeah, it got a cast album. Uh, was nominated for like three Drama Desk Awards, which Sondheim won Best Lyrics. He lost music to uh, Elton John for Billy Elliot that year. They mm. were not nominated for musical at the Drama Desks. I think they were nominated for Lucille Lucille Lortel, but don't quote me on that. Um, and yeah, like it. The show kind of slinked away. It was done again at the Menier Chocolate Factory, once again directed by John Doyle. I cannot, again, I cannot emphasize enough that year how badly Broadway fans wanted Fetch to happen with this show. Like they were like, finally, it's going to happen. We're going to get a new Sondheim show. It's going to be on Broadway, and we're going to be so grateful for it. And what year was that? You said you said it was two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. So were the other? As you said, Billy Elliot. So yeah, it was that was the year of the Tonys. That was uh, Billy Elliot, Next to Normal, Shrek, and Rock of Ages. I'm trying to figure out what I was doing that year. I had I had seen I would I had come to the city to see Next to Normal and ended up seeing Shrek. But yes. yes, I was a freshman in college, so I came into the city I think for my winter break and saw Roadshow. Um, I saw Billy Elliot in London, so I didn't feel the need to see it on Broadway. I saw Billy later. Yeah, I saw Next to Normal. I think right around the time it opened, but those were the big ones. Yeah, I mean and. Next to Normal and Rock of Ages had not opened yet. Like at the point that Roadshow had opened, it was basically just Billy Elliot and, oh, and title of show, which was also very important to me at the time. But it's also important to remember that like Sondheim was kind of having a resurgence with Broadway because like with 2004, we had the Assassins revival and everyone's like, oh my God, Assassins is so much better than we remembered. And then we had the Sweeney revival and the Company revival. Um, The Frogs happened and went away. And everyone's like, oh, Sondheim's so great like we need to get a new Sondheim show when it like came to pass like maybe Bounce was coming back and now it's gonna be called Roadshow and they're actually working on it not just like mounting it for shits and giggles everybody got so excited and then when it was like kind of only okay people wanted to be so much better than it was and the proof is in the pudding like a year after it ended like no one talks about it anymore they do it at City Center two or three years ago um, as you brought up earlier with Brandon Uranowitz and Raul Esparza and all their critics were like, I mean, yeah, there's some stuff here, but it's it's not great. It's just not great. Um, were there are there clips of that concert? Mm-hmm. Are? Yeah. Okay. I'll take a look at it because 
that's, that's that's what I was watching where I was like, Brandon just doesn't feel older. He doesn't seem older, but he is a good energy for that role, I suppose. For sure. Um, it felt when I was listening to it, it always felt very Rob McClure, which kind of also feels a little Brandon Uranowitz. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a there's a good amount of clips. It says one year ago is when they came out. But yeah. Okay, I'll 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 look into it because I I I couldn't find any of the time. Maybe I just wasn't looking hard enough. So I will. It's mainly just like a montage, but yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll take a look. As I mentioned, Sondheim's very proud of the show. He's like, we finally got it to where we want it. It's the show we always wanted it to be. I'm like, good for you. I don't think it's very good. Um, What you should also watch, by the way, is after after a matinee, they did a talk back. Then that whole thing's on on YouTube. And it's it's Sondheim and... and, um, Weidman? And Weidman and... uh, the artistic director and the director of the show. Okay. Um, yeah, all just discussing uh, yeah, the journey. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. He was, he's like, we're, we're very proud of where it's at now. And I'm like, it's definitely the best version of the For show sure. that you've done. Uh, I think bounce is probably a more exciting score to listen to, but roadshow is a better show. It's just still not very good. Um, all right. So Jimmy rapid fire questions, ready to go. Yeah, but I'm nervous. Don't be nervous. Be a little scared. Don't be nervous. First question, the Sondheim rhyme. What's your favorite lyric in this show? This is not necessarily a, a specific lyric, but I'm just going to have to go with the, my gut, which just tells me I'm the one you fucked. Yeah? Because it just had me gagged that that was a Sondheim lyric. Honestly, it is a gag. And it, and it, was, a, and it was a man to a man in the first number. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are definitely more meaningful lyrics. Like I was saying, there's some like, there's some nice lyrics in like that song that the dad sings to the, both of them. And there's like some cute quotable moments. But the one that I have to say at my gut is, 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 is the exact quote, I'm the one you fucked. I think it's remember me, I'm the one that you fucked. And then he says it again, I'm the one that you fucked. Yeah, that, yeah. that's the one I'm going to go with. Go for it, yeah. Sometimes the bluntest lyric is the best. You ever be... said, you, have you ever said that? Remember me? I'm the one you fucked. <laughs> um, yeah, but like it was at, at, my... like at a bar. <laughs> I was going to make a, a nasty Trixie joke. and be like, yeah, but it was at my dad's reunion. It didn't feel right to say that to his classmate. Oh so. my goodness. No. Um, oh God, what, what I would give, you know what? As we start heading back into society, I have zero fucks to give. So I if, like, if I do find someone who ghosted me, and like we're in a nice sort of you know semi crowded area. We're like, hey, remember me? I'm the one that you fucked, and then promptly left me. You're like, no, um, that was, you're like that was just a Sondheim quote. Oh, so I'm sorry. That was a Sondheim quote. I was just um, quoting a Sondheim show. I, I just I, I thought I thought you were a fellow Roadshow fan. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, next question. Uh, I had a dream cast. Who would you like to see in a production of this show? Um, I mean. Like I was saying, I thought it was interesting. Jo- I, I'm intrigued by Josh's interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. I'm also really intrigued of what Nathan Lane's would have been. Mm. Uh, he's. It's also. It's also tricky because I don't know how you, how old the characters should be because they go through such a journey. So I don't know if it's like a situation where you cast younger, they play older at the end, or they, you know. Um, yeah. But my my gut goes with. Um, it feels very the Addison Hollis thing feels very wizard uh, Marvin to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, but a little different, especially with Addison. But but 
Hollis does feel very wizard to me. Um, That's fair. I think you could find some former Marvin wizards to play those two roles. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd be down with a lot of them. Um, I mean, there are like, there's like more of the more contemporary ones, like the George Salazar's for like an Addison or like, a, but he's he's also young still. Mm-hmm. If you're, he would be playing older at some point, or like, I could have seen even like a, a Josh, um, not uh, Michael Arden doing it when mm-hmm. he was still more performing. Um, I would love or, to see Josh Henry do Wilson. I feel like he'd do a really good job at that. Oh yeah, for sure. Because I think you need someone who's extremely charming because the character very likable, all... but yeah, yeah, because a little you... reckless. Yeah, because the character is already a giant douche you don't need someone who like uh radiates douchiness like get someone who looks so likable and every because it it's like (laughs) oh yeah my brain my brain goes all over the place it's like when Lindsay lohan was really kind of starting to crash and burn in 2005 six and we all just like chose to ignore it because we're like but you're Lindsay lohan you're katie heron like we love you but we chose to ignore the signs i know know? that i think that's a fun way to cast wilson Hollis wise, I could go. I feel like it's like, I feel like he's like young, pretty boy, you know, mm-hmm. Jeremy Pope, Josh, Jonathan Groff. Uh, what is a younger, pretty boy? Um, I don't know, you know. Kyle Selig. Yeah. But Actually, Kyle Selig is a little too like dashing. But I, but I also want gay though. Sure, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. Um, I was just trying to think of like someone who looks like all American handsome, but I think I mean like Nick Adams. But I but uh, this feels a little more. He's a little more flashy to me. I mean, he yeah. he was a, he was a wizard. Yeah, I need I need I need someone who's more of like uh, a fresh rosebud, like and like and turn of the century feel like yes, very much so. Um, Nick Adams feels a little more contemporary to me. Yeah. But yeah, someone, well, you said Jer- some- you said Jeremy Pope. Jeremy I Pope said Jonathan really Groff. He's he's a little old for it, to be perfectly honest. Um, it needs to it needs to be like early twenties, like someone who is very youthful. Jonathan Groff in it in, in a, a little bit ago. Yeah, I'm to, or, yeah or, like a, or I mean, he's not as much like known as like like I mean like a even like the Ben Platts of the world, you know. Sure, but, but he's not as like conventionally like, pretty boy, you know. Yeah, like it's like Taylor Trench is not like wholesome exactly. Americana, yeah. but like but I think he would that do useful quality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's 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 all good. Um, was oh God, that's good. Where does this show rank for you in the Sondheim canon? And I'm pretty the sure worst, I know you're I, the worst I've ever I've ever seen heard. <laughs> bottom of the rung, bottom of the barrel, rotted. Throw her out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It just uh, compared to like. I, I do love I do love Sondheim. Anything any Sondheim show that I know I love. Mm-hmm. Especially like usually I will listen to a Sondheim show and and think to myself, like that is a genius lyric. There weren't as many of those that I found in this, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And even the music, like there are times when like that's a really great idea for a song musically, but you don't build upon it. Like if you want to hear a Sondheim song that encompasses many characters various scenes telling a full story and does it well like look at weekend in the country and a little night music like Oof. that we're talking genius. like genius like 10 different characters uh 
intertwining with you know with dialogue and different scenes and it builds to this whole thing it's so gorgeous um yeah yeah that's that's i mean any anything in into the woods is like that as well exactly Um, i mean anything in sweeney is like that i mean yeah yeah uh well i'm gonna i will be getting to my personal ranking of the sondheim musicals in a short minute as i mentioned this is the last episode so we've been building to this moment jimmy you're you're gonna you're gonna rank all of them well from my from my personal perspective, I can't oh, do I also, objectively what I think are better. I also really do love passion. I'm a I'm a passion fan. I like passion a lot. I've become much more into passion since doing this series. It's yeah, not top five for me, but it's I I thought it was gonna be like my bottom of the barrel because I you only had, knew a had little you bit had of watched it. had you had watched it ever or no? Um, I had seen clips of the original production. The truth is that I don't love the video of the original production, I don't like the tone of it, but listening to it, listening to the, uh, what actually did it for me was listening to the Judy Kuhn, uh, Rebecca Luker album all the right. way through. And that was when I was like, oh, I actually do kind of like this show. Cause there's also a sense of humor in it that I think is lost with Donna Murphy. I'm a huge like, Donna fan, but yeah. I loved, I, I saw Donna's Dolly twice. You don't have to tell me about being a Donna Yeah, fan. we love Donna. We love Donna. I have audio of her final Hello Dolly where she pops up to, I think it's a D and I, mm-hmm. I guffaw. That was, but, that was on Twitter for a while. <laughs> it's so good. Hello, hello. But there are moments in Passion where I feel like Fosca is funny and sarcastic and Donna kind of doesn't do that. And that's not her fault. That's the tone of that production um, right. is to like take, because I think when they did previews, they got so much unwanted laughter. They went so fully the other way and were like, no laughter. They didn't just whatsoever. embrace it, right? Yeah. Um, but I do like passion a lot more. Anyway, I will get to my lesson in a second. Final question. It's the little things, AKA there won't be trumpets named after the fact that if we reduce the show enough, you won't have trumpets in your orchestra. How would you reduce this show since Sondheim can only be done small scale these days? That's the only way we get them. I mean, here's the thing. The one, the clips that I saw of that one where they were throwing the money that I, I I think that that it looked like, tell me if I'm wrong it looked like the set might have also been a ton of suitcases no uh suitcases and crates yeah I think that you I think that it doesn't get much more as genius with this show than that to be honest I really I really liked that a lot uh yeah no it's I think that's sort of the thing is uh ironically the whole reason I had this question is because like of the John Doyle Sondheim productions Right. Uh, and like the classic stage company stuff. And then I end up, you know, asking people about it. And when it gets like Sweeney and Pacific Overtures, they're like, I mean, I just do what John Doyle did. So with this, like, like, he, like, he, like he did it. He did it. He, he did it about as minimally as you I could. I mean, there's been, there's been a lot of Into the Woods that have been done many ways too with like, yeah. you know, like that touring production that they did. Yeah. I'm looking, I would like to see a production of Woods that, is a little more elaborate and also like allows it to be fun again and isn't so up its own ass with concepts. I would like- Have to you seen, well, this is up its own ass with concepts, but I love it. Have you seen the Re- Regent Park filmed production? I have. And I saw I'm it in the park with, with Donna. Eh, but not as good, but- I, I hated it in the park with Donna. Not her fault. I hated the whole thing. I watched the video and I liked the video more but it, but I, it, it was. I a love the Regent Park one, but yes, it was a little okay. too much for me because uh, it was up its own ass. Anyway, so those are all the questions. So uh, this is because it's the end of the series. I'm so sorry, Jimmy. I have some business to take care of. That unfortunately you have to sit here and take. Yeah. Great. So 
I have come to my own personal rankings of the Sondheim musicals. I debated if I wanted to rate the scores or the musicals because the two are different. Um, And then if I wanted to do what I thought was objectively the best or what was my favorite. um, Originally, I thought I was going to do his best musicals objectively and then my favorite scores. But now I've decided to just do the musicals of Sondheim that I've covered on this series from the ones that I enjoy the least to the ones that I enjoy the most. Plus, I also think they're good. Um, there will There's a breaking point where it goes from the shows I don't really enjoy all that much into the shows I start to enjoy more and more and more. So starting with number 18, bottom of the barrel, rotted, gutted, get her out of here, the frogs. Finish her off. We don't need to discuss her ever again. I don't know number the frogs seven. at all. I don't need to, I guess. You t- Oh boy, do you not? I, I, know, I know of the frogs. I will say, it's one of my favorite episodes I've done for this series, not because of the show, but because Allie Gordon is like my favorite person. In the I whole was going to say, what blessed, what blessed soul did the frogs? Allie Gordon, but that's because she actually fucking saw the thing. Oh, wow. Um, and she's also been on the podcast now four times. So right. you have to come on again so you can tie with her. Fair. Because uh, this is number three for you. It is. How do you feel? You feel blessed? Booked and blessed? I feel blessed. Booked and blessed. Thank you. I appreciate it. Number 17, Saturday night. Uh, she's kind of cute, but she's also kind of dull. Mm. 16, do I hear a waltz? Uh, a very good idea for a show that was fucked up completely, but there are some decent Rogers tunes and Sondheim has some decent rhymes. In yeah, there. We love a Richard Rogers Sondheim collab too. That's interesting. It's yeah. You would expect it to be more interesting than it is. Um, yeah. Didn't work. Yeah. Especially like the opening song, you're like, oh, okay, like it's pretty good. And then it just sort of uh, plateaus from there. Number 15, Roadshow. For all the reasons we described today, some interesting stuff, but overall it's boring. 14, Anyone Can Whistle. Show's a fucking mess, but there are like five songs I really love. Weird, weird, weird. 13, Pacific Overtures. I have come to appreciate it a lot more. And I think Someone in a Tree and the opening are awesome. However, I don't enjoy it all that much. Moving on. Uh, 12, Passion. Uh, Passion, this is the first show that we get to on the list where I'm like, I actually do enjoy this show. However, Passion, there are some- I actually do enjoy this show. I do actually enjoy this show. But Passion has some stretches that I kind of get bored. That said, the finale in Passion punches me in the ovaries every time. Uh, Merrily We Roll Along at number 11. I think this is an awesome score. I think that it will never work. Uh, it can be a favorite Sondheim show to people. That's totally fair. There are a lot of themes in it, a lot of plot lines that connect with people. I totally get that. I don't think the show will ever work. Uh, 10, Assassins. Uh, I appreciate the show. I enjoy this show. I also really like that it's intermissionless. goes right through. It's like a movie. And I also think this is the one Sondheim show where he added a song after the fact and it works better, which is something just broke. There are other shows where he added Ooh. stuff later and I don't think it works nearly as well. Number nine, Forum. Funny thing happened on the way to the Forum. This show is super enjoyable. I really like it. However, it does have to be a kind of solid production of it. Otherwise, it can be sort of interminable, especially because the first act is 90 minutes. It's very odd. But it also, I think, Comedy Tonight is Sondheim's best opening number, not including Into the Woods, because that's a prologue of multiple numbers, not one four-minute song. I'm talking like Wow, you really so. love comedy tonight. I mean, it's definitely like a little bit of a bop, but I'm, I'm shocked that you love it so much. Well, I th- because it's very exciting and it's very, and it also does exactly what the show needs it to do. And it just like, it gives you a bubbly sense of energy that I think is really hard to do for a comedy sometimes. Like yeah. you can get, sh- like there are co- musical comedies where like 
audience is gonna be like, oh, this is fun. I can't wait to see it. Comedy Tonight is actually an exciting opening number. Right. Um, which is rare. Number eight, Sunday in the Park with George. I do really love this show, but this is a show where like I come to maybe every five or six months. I love it deeply for like five weeks and then I put it away and come back to it later. Uh, number seven, Company. Again, super love it. However, it is a show that is dependent on a good cast and a good director. Mm. Otherwise, it dies a harsh death. Mm. Number six, Into the Woods. This was shocking to me. I thought this was going to be my number one. It used to be my number one favorite musical as a kid. Then it became my number one favorite Sondheim once Carousel usurped it. However, upon working on it, I have realized that the original Broadway company and that video has ruined me forever with Into the Woods because... I do not love it nearly as much when it's not that original video. That's in my, that show is in my top five like shows ever. I, I do love it. I love the show. I know every single word of it. I've been in it twice. Anytime it's done, I go see it, but I never get as much fulfillment out of it as when it's I watch the recording. Yeah. yeah. Um, which isn't fair to the show. It's not its fault that it's original production of that original cast was so, uh, was firing off on all cylinders and happened to be preserved forever. So that's just a downside. But again, we're talking number six. And again, number 12, Passion Onwards, we're talking about shows that I enjoy. So it's just, we're going up the ladder of things I just enjoy more and more. Number five, West Side Story. I just think she's really good. Uh, I'm looking forward to the movie. However, I was very surprised that when the teaser came out, everyone's like, oh, this thing's going to be amazing. I'm like, we saw 90 seconds of no dialogue and no singing. Yeah, I mean, I was like, I, I learned nothing new. I don't yeah. really think I, like, I learned, I saw just as much as I saw in the pictures. I feel like, yeah, which, looked, which was nothing bad. I was like, no. I'm here for it. I'm, I'm really excited, but it wasn't like, I, I wasn't any more excited than I've been. Yeah. It's like, um, speaking of into the woods, do you remember when that first teaser came out and it was just like everyone saying, I wish. And then it was that instrumental. Don't you know what's out there in the kind world? Of. Yeah. And had like a big drum beat to it. It was very like epic feeling. And everybody was like, oh my God, this movie's going to be incredible. And I was like, we literally saw nothing. We saw yeah. like a handful of shots to some orchestral music, which is what this was. It was a handful of shots to Rita Moreno singing acapella. Um, hopefully it's good. It looks well shot. And at, least, at least people are probably excited because at least with Into the Woods, they were seeing the first movie adaptation of it, yeah. you know? Whereas like West Side Story, I'm like, oh, we, we didn't learn anything new. We've, we've, it's just, uh, Yeah. Yeah. What Please, we learned I'm is that Rachel, we, we learned that Rachel Zegler is extremely photogenic. And and we saw we saw Doc as a woman. Yes, Doc as a woman. Uh she hasn't what's her name now? But we knew that though. We, yeah, we, did I, know we that. got to, we got to see it though. Yes. Number four, Follies. Uh this show I enjoy so very, very much. And every time I see a production, they get like five things right and five things wrong. Uh I hope one day to be a part of a production that gets nine things right and one thing wrong. I've um, never seen Follies live. It's a hard show to recommend because like once similar to company, like if you do mm -hmm. not have a good director and a good cast, it dies a hard death. Um, Cause it's just, it's depressing, but like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting stuff about it. You need to treat it like a Fellini Broadway fever dream. It needs to be impressionistic. It needs to be bold and colorful and have these broad strokes about it, but people keep on trying to, trying to make it like a reality show and it doesn't work. Number three, Gypsy. It's perfect. We love it. We don't want it to change. However, because it is so perfect, sometimes we analyze it a bit too much. That said, 
I love all the divas that have done it. And I don't ever get tired listening to that overture. Number three, number two, Sweeney Todd, not a thing I don't love about it. I love everything about it. I loved the um, off-Broadway production of The Pie Shop. I loved the Doyle production. I loved the staged concert. I loved the original. I even loved the movie. I just love Sweeney. But number one, the show that gives me the most pleasure is A Little Night Music. It is mm. a perfect musical. I think it's actually more perfectly constructed than Sweeney Todd. Um, it is, what I said before was, it is really hard, but not impossible to do Follies well. And it is really hard, but not impossible to fuck up a little night music. You have to work really hard to make that show not work. It yeah, is as long as you so sing it well and you, and, and you know what it's about. And get out of its way. Because that book also yeah, just slaps. Yeah. Ah, love it. Gotta wrap things up with two more things. One is, uh, I'll be taking a month hiatus after this series ends because Papa is tired. This has been really long, taken so much out of me. And I've got a couple of other things I have to do uh, this summer, because as I mentioned, this will be coming out in June. Uh, the In the Heights movie will have been out by this point. So, yeah, I'm really excited for that. See that we haven't seen the a film adaptation of. So when I saw it come to life, I'm like, oh, yes, I have watched it. I have thoughts. My thoughts will probably be released in an earlier bonus episode by this point. So y'all will have already known it by now. I saw the abridged Instagram version. Yes, yes, you did indeed. Which some people told asked me why why I did why I hated the movie, and I said I don't think I hated it. Like I gave specific, I I was very short with my with my abridged reviews, but I definitely give credit where it's due. There are things I didn't like about it, but there are a lot of things to love about that movie. There are a lot of things that work, some things that don't, but we we live and we love. Um, that said taking the month off, we will be coming back with the next series, which will not be on a specific artist, but instead will be on the British invasion, uh, West End transfers, some musicals, some plays, because she's cultured. Jimmy, if today did not scar you completely and you'd like to have a fourth appearance, we can discuss what your fourth appearance will be. Not a play. Not a, not a play. He is not cultured. She is not cultured, and it will definitely not be aspects of love. <laughs> um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, it will be called The British Invasion or The British Connection. I haven't decided yet. TBD. So you guys have a month to sort of prep for that. Uh, you can tell all your, your friends and loved ones about this podcast in that time. Keep the word spreading on Broadway Breakdown. Uh, if people are concerned, oh, there's so many episodes. I don't know if I want to get into a new podcast. The good news is that they will have that month to listen to all the Sondheim stuff before the British Invasion stuff. Uh, and finally, if you do like the podcast, subscribe to us. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Since I last recorded an episode, which was like actually five weeks ago, I've gotten three new reviews. So I'm going to give you guys a quick shout out now, and then we will close ourselves out. Gotta love a deep dive. Five stars. Sondheim for days. Thank you very much. Uh, another one, five stars. Absolutely incredible. So good. So interesting. I love the current series on Sondheim. Matt is beyond knowledgeable and even more opinionated, which makes for a great show every week. I am opinionated. We love. We love. He does say in parentheses, though, the episodes are always very low volume. Can you bump that up a little? Girl, I'm trying. Sometimes my guests record through their earphones. Do you need me to be louder? Is this loud enough? <laughs> Finally. Finally, she did it. So, yeah, it's fair. I do have a couple of episodes that are quiet, but I, I'm also loud, so I try to hold my voice back. But now I'll just shout. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, TJ. And most recently, as of this week, excellent five stars. Great podcast. Loving the Sondheim series. Hopefully you will love the British series. And hopefully 
now that we've closed out with Roadshow, it won't be too much of a bummer. Uh, thank you everybody for listening and making it this far. It's been a journey, but we love it. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to see it, even with something like the fucking frogs. We close out every week with a diva Jimmy, as you know. Um, I'm trying to think of someone related to Roadshow. Have we done Nancy Opal? Have we done Nancy Opal? Let me look. I don't think that we have. Okay. We are going to close out with one of the ensemble members of the Wise Guys Workshop, Miss Nancy Opal, Tony nominee Nancy Opal. That she voice. will take us away. Thank you. We love it. Thank we love you, to Nancy. hear it. Um, thank you so much again uh, for coming, Jimmy. Oh, where can people find you? Tell us where they can find you. At Jimmy Larkin. More importantly, at Let's Hear It for the Choice. That's right. Oh, I forgot to mention that before, but if you are recurring on the pod, you already know. Jimmy's Let's Hear It for the Choice. He's very special. He's very important to the community. We love to see it. We we live to see it, one might say. Um, and yeah, thank you so much, guys. You can find me on Instagram at Matt Koplik, usual spelling. It's my only social media. Uh, and that's it. I'll see you guys in a month. Thank you so much. Take us away, Nancy. Bye. charge you twice. No need to jeopardize your position. Or better yet, have you arrested? I'm through with all this deceit. You could never not get tested. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theatre community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theatre professionals, search the RISE Theatre Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theatre with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org, because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.